Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and a warm welcome to The Call. Of course, 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. It is Tuesday the 13th of October. I'm pleased to say joining us as our two experts today, we have Mark Morland in the studio with us from Team Invest and Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool, both joining us uh, for the next 60 minutes to give us all our views. Mark, it's your birthday, so we've got to wish you a happy birthday. Thanks Thank for Thank you. being the, on AusBiz. The big 65. Oh, there you go. Does that mean I get to retire? Yeah, maybe. We no, should have had I'm cake never, for you I'm right never here. retiring. I'm working until I drop. There you go. You, I enjoy you, it. I enjoy it too much. Well, there you go. You've heard it from Mark yeah. here. He's going to give us his stock yeah. picks. Hopefully, we'll get a couple of buyers for you, uh, out of you yeah. on your birthday. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, but let's get straight into it, and we'll kick it off with our stock of the day which is, of course, CBA, holding its AGM today, um, narrowly avoiding a first strike over its plan to change the way it pays its top bankers. Um, so that's one of the key things to come out of CBA today, as well as a lot of discussions around dividend, when it may be reinstated um, back to the traditional way that CBA has paid dividends. Um, Catherine Livingston saying that that long-term policy of paying <coughs> out 70 to 80% of its net profits to shareholders, she hopes to reinstate soon um, but has no sort of certainty on when that may happen says they they check dividends or the company checks dividends about every six months as we know so keeping an eye on cba but let's get straight into our guests and mark you're the birthday boy so you can kick it off what do you think about cba, CBA? um not i think cba's uh got very large uh, headwinds going forward i mean of the banks of the big four banks i'm not including macquarie hmm. cba is definitely the best and it's been the best performer it's outperformed the other all the other banks over the last decade however the return on equity has been dropping since uh, 2014. Uh, it's gone down from uh, a high of about 18% down to just over 10, which still makes our minimum requirement just. And their profit margin, their earnings per share have been dropping as well, not for as long as that. They started dropping in 2018. Mm. And now their average over the last six years has been minus 3.9% growth rate, you know, which is a negative growth. Now, negative growth is not a problem. You can still make good money um, if they're paying good dividends, but you have to pay an appropriate price to get the returns. And at the moment, CBA is on the mid-range of its PE ratios, which are, it's currently on um, 16 PE, which is too high uh, for the growth. So it's not cheap by any means. And I think the prognosis going forward is that uh, they may not be able to reinstate the dividend at that level. Uh, we haven't really had much of an impact yet from coronavirus on them, mm. you know, as far as um, how many uh, write-offs they're gonna have. I mean, they, have, they are provisioning more now but there's quite a lot of things that are negative going forward and I can't see anything that's positive. And the low rates, the very low interest rates, which uh, my son just got a mortgage quote of 2.11 fixed. Mm. How about that? Pretty good. <laughs> and it's like, wow. But the point <laughs> is though, change for a while, the lower the rate, the harder yeah. it is for banks to make money because yeah. they work on a margin. So if the rate's zero and they're lending it out at 2%, that's 2% margin. So good for consumers, but good for consumers, not so good for the not, banks. And it makes it very difficult. Uh, for the banks, and also the other problem is because they're basically going to be paying nearly net well, negative uh, real terms mm. uh, interest rates on deposits. You know, the deposit money can start disappearing as well because they've had a free ride with with uh, people who've had money in their accounts and so on. So there's a lot of a lot of things that make it very challenging for the banks. It's not something I would buy now. I mm. mean, if you're an investor in CBA, 
and you bought it in the float or even back in 2009, it went down to $22. Your returns on that are really good. Yep. Uh, so if you, look at, if, you, if you look at that as a way of looking at your investments where you uh, are looking at what you paid for it compared to what you, your return is, then it's great. Yeah, it all depends but on where you, where you bought in, as you yeah. said, um, with CBA. Scott, welcome to the program. Let's get your view um, on CBA today because, you know, the AGM, obviously, a lot of discussions around dividends, which we know are uncertain going forward, to say the least. Uh, but we did hear some good news out of CBA yesterday, of course, with loan deferrals um, looking a little bit better for the bank. What's yeah. your take? Ingrid, good afternoon. And Mark, happy birthday. Uh, mate, look, I think with it comes to CBA, I share Mark's concern. I got, the banks are up 35% as a sector since March. And frankly, bank PEs that are, I had a quick look, I think the light, the cheapest might be Nabbit, 14 and a half, then the 16, 16, 17. I mean, these are really expensive prices to pay for low growth businesses. And I don't mean low growth in a pejorative sense. I mean, it, as Mark suggested, it, you know, it is going to be GDP-ish, property price-ish over the next five or 10 years. So where does, the, where does the surplus growth come from? I don't think you can find it. If you can't find it, then you've got to pay a decent price. I think, look, if you bought banks in March, April, May, congratulations, you've done really, really well. I don't know how CBA puts on a market-beating performance from here when you combine that high PE and, and potential headwinds slash low growth. You mentioned the loan deferrals, Ingrid. That is really good news. And I've, I've been much less bearish the economy and mm. the banks than some other people have because I think we'll get out of this one reasonably well. Now, I'm an optimist, as I say every time. I'm a card-carrying optimist. So take that with a grain of salt if you're someone who wants to be a little more realistic. But, um, you know, the, the signs are good. The people who are out of work, people who are struggling in the economy, terrible for them, but they tend not to be. The, the, the mortgage holders, the white collar workers are doing pretty well, unless you're in education, tourism, retail, um, cafe, restaurants. And again, those people are doing it tough, but the rest of the economy doing pretty well as we see some, from some retail numbers. I'm not as worried at all about the, the banks in terms of the negative impacts. I am though worried about the lack of positive impacts that see share prices grow when the P is already this high. Okay. Did you have something to add there? Oh, only that, you know, from our point of view, if you want to get a 10% return now, hmm. you couldn't pay more than $42. Well, there you that's have it. It's a long way away from where it is. It's a good way to summarise it. Yeah. All right, that's CBA. Let's get into the 10 stocks, though, that have been picked by you. Um, kicking it off with Aurora. That's the first stock of the day. Ticker code ORA. It comes from Tony. So thanks, Tony, for your question on Aurora. Now, this one, of course, um, packaging company. We all know Aurora pretty well. Scott, what's your take on this one? Is it a buy, hold, sell for you? I'm going to say sell um, in terms of, again, relative to the market performance. Uh, the, the challenge I have with Aurora, look, it's going to have some really nice volume tailwinds, quite honestly. We know from Australia Post that packages are through the roof. That's no surprise to anybody. You have to be you know, blind. Freddie can see the number of trucks going up and down the road, the number of us that are shopping online. They are going to get a really nice tailwind from the really big, bulky packaging. But the broad business itself at 18 times earnings, when you produce a quasi commodity, now they will tell you, of course, they're all different products and premium products and unique products. End of the day, anyone can produce packaging. And again, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but let's let's draw a quick line through it. Very, very hard to maintain any sort of price premium when you're in this space. Now, maybe volume counts, maybe scale counts. Relationships certainly count. Uh, but if your customers are prepared to simply walk to your mate across the road when you get a simply a slightly better price and who wouldn't in this sort of economic environment, mm. really, really tough to maintain a pricing premium. If you're paying 18 times earnings for a commodity business, I think you're in a bit the crosshairs, quite honestly. So again, short term, anything can happen with any of these companies. Long term, I don't see how Aurora justifies a premium PE, and I certainly wouldn't pay 18 times for its shares. Mark, what's your take? Uh, I agree with Scott. Sell. <laughs> well, um, it's it's we're showing a returning about three percent a year at the moment on on a margin of safety. 
And what will have their earnings did drop off. So they had a their last report. They were growing at about eight percent, mm. and then the last couple of years, um, well, since two thousand twenty. Uh, report they dropped down to 13 cents from 23 so the 18 p is on the the lower earnings um, uh, report so it's not as bad as that if you go back if they can normalize their earnings back on the same trajectory they were so in 19 their their earnings were 20 about 24 cents and they dropped to uh, 13 cents in 2020 so whether that was a corona argument i don't know because i don't know the business well enough to know the what the story is but if the if you believe their earnings could come back onto the same trajectory they were then at the moment the PE is in the bottom quartile of its range. But I agree with Scott, it's a commodity business. It doesn't have um, strong moats. Uh, you know, moats are competitive advantages that are going to stop your competitors taking the business away. Yeah. And companies that don't have strong moats um, typically have a problem with uh, pricing because it's too easy to uh, someone to come in. If I'm buying cardboard boxes, I can buy them from Vizzy. There's, so, there's yeah. so many suppliers. I mean, they're, they're, they have special boxes. Yeah, and you sort of well, okay. You just go for the cheapest price. <laughs> well, at this point, right? that's what generally yeah. happens. So, so there's always pressure on price versus if you look at like a cochlear, mm. you know, which is a, a total leader with fabulous moats, they can charge very high rates and they and make very high profit margins. So I don't like commodity businesses. This is a commodity business, but it's not that expensive. I don't think I'd say it's a sell. Um, if you like the business, I'd probably stay in it. Uh, and if you think you believe that you understand it well enough to know that it's going to revert to its original. Uh, uh, earnings growth path within the next year or so, then it's quite cheap. All right. Well, I think that sums up that one. So let's move on uh, from Aurora onto our next stock, Smart Group Corporation, ticket code SIQ. This comes from Rob. Thanks, Rob. But let's uh, get straight into it, though, um, with you, Mark. I might let you kick this one off. Of course, they do salary packaging, Novated Leasing, Fleet Management, Vehicle Buying, Payroll Services, this right. sort of business. Yes, yeah, so Novated Leasing, they do a lot with government, a lot with healthcare yep. and, and uh, doctors and nurses and so on in hospitals. They uh, package their salaries to save them a bit of tax and so on. Mm. Um, it's, uh, we, we've looked at it in details. It, detail, it passes our, um, our filters. Uh, I'm a shareholder, not in a big way, but I have, I have invested in it. Uh, and I'm quite happy with that investment. Um, it's, it's, it's not a big company, um, so uh, yeah, it's on the smaller, a smaller end of the equation. Uh, there has been some management uh, upheaval lately and the CEOs is uh, left or leaving, uh, which is always a bit, of a, a bit of a concern. But if you look at their, uh, their numbers, their uh, EPS growth rate's been running at about 50% a year for the last f- five years. They've just come out the report now, which is their earnings have come off a bit. Mm. And it's to do with COVID, with the number of uh, new car sales, which initially dropped off heavily in March, have now picked back up. So, uh, and if anything, they've gone the other way now. So people are, one of the consequences of COVID lockdown are people are spending money on cars, mm. boats and all sorts of stuff. Nick, Nick Scarly lounge suites and things. So sales have been much more than you ever would have imagined. So I'm expecting uh, Smart Group to continue to do uh, well. We're showing it returning uh, about 18% per year at the current price, which is in the bottom quartile of its P range at uh, P of 14. Um, and that's uh, 18% return at uh, where it is now is good. Okay, so a buy. It's a buy. Yeah, it's a buy. A buy from you. Let's yeah. summarise that. Okay, buy from you on Smart Group Corporation. Scott, over to you. What do you think? Buy, hold, sell? I'm going to call it a buy as well. You're going to be whacking on the call portfolio. There right. you go. Um, look, and it should be really clear for our viewers, particularly our viewers who are members of our service, it's not an official buy for us. So here I'm talking about companies I think are going to be beating the market as opposed to ones that are on our official buy list. Yep. Um, just to be really clear for those those members who are watching who might email me afterwards and say, what the hell's going on? So uh, to be really clear, but I think here's the thing. Mark makes a really compelling case, and I agree with him. 
Um, this is the sort of business, look at that graph over the last six or nine months. If you believe, there's the opportunity for contrarians here. The market's picked up really nicely out of the, the worst of the March falls, and, and rightly so, I think. As I said, I'm an optimist, but I think those recoveries have been positive and, and realistic. Smart Group has been completely missed by the market. Now, if you believe that new car sales remain at historic lows, then fine. If you think that nothing changes, that, that nothing recovers, then fine. But if you have a view that, as I do, I think it sounds like Mark does, that we start to see some sort of normalcy return, and there's very good reason to believe it will. This is not even company cyclicality, it's just pure economic cyclicality. And so, unless we're in a multi-year recession, and God forbid that for, for any of us, but if, unless we're in a multi-year recession, this company recovers because the economy recovers, new car sales recover, it's really cheap. 13 odd times earnings are a really nice way to play that recovery, take advantage of that recovery, quite honestly. One of the few stocks, I think, that have decent historical financials, but haven't bounced back with the rest of the market. So I gotta say, you know, as always, as with Mill and Shakespeare and others, there's always the risk that, that you know, rules change, that governments get a bit penny pinchy and, and rule out some of the sort of um, packaging benefits that right. this company literally survives to provide. If those benefits go away, the company goes away as well. So there is that existential risk that will always hover over Smart Group with Millen and others. But the, the simple reality is I think, um, while ever the, the, the legislation remains, and I think it will, when you're buying Smart Group at 13 times earnings and with a bounce back, nothing's guaranteed, right? But man, I, I can't see there won't be a bounce back economically. And when it comes, if you could have bought Smart Group at the effectively the March low price, which is roughly where it is now, and take that recovery on the way through, I think it'll beat the market from here. Early on in the show, already got a double buy, already got something to add to our portfolio. So we're pretty happy doesn't with that. Every day, no, it? it doesn't. Smart Group Corporation ticket SIQ. Um, so that's for you, Rob. Let's uh, move on to the third stock we're looking at today. Western areas, um, we know this one, the nickel play, of course. Um, lots sort of playing into it. This comes from Jessica. So, Scott, I'll start with you on Western areas. Buy, hold, sell. Yeah, Ingrid, I'm going to call this one a sell, I have to say. I, I mean, I'm not, not big in resources in general. So, again, uh, you know, put, putting all the cards on the table, I've, I've got the optimism card and the, and the non-resources <laughs> cards to play this today. Um, yeah. That being said, it's 20-odd times earnings, 20-and-a-half times earnings based on the numbers I looked at before the program. If... If there is some recovery in price that you're expecting or hoping for and it comes through, then the price will recover. Um, reasonably good operator, reasonably well received, well understood, um, a decent deposit from all reports. So there's no reason to dislike the company operationally. Um, but again, if you're paying a high-ish price, you have to believe that the commodity price recovers. And again, as I said before, saying, well, I think it might or I hope it will or, you know, that's all fine. But unless you've got a genuinely fundamentals-based reason to you know, have a high probability of being right. And that's different from, oh, I think it will because, um, you know, I think it'll be red or black at the casino because is, is the same kind of answer, right? So as with any company, unless you have a fundamental based reason to believe the nickel price goes up from here and West Nearest continues to benefit at the current price, even though it's come down a lot over the last 12 months, I really can't see it. You know, anything could happen, right? So I, I, probabilistically, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's a coin toss. But that's not enough for investing. So unless you have a really fundamental reason, I wouldn't be buying the shares at today's oh, price. It comes at an interesting time because Diggers and Dealers is on um, in WA, the conference, the yearly conference, and EV growth powering up nickel prospects. Is that you know sort of the headline coming from that? Mark, mm -hmm. is it enough to get you buying this one? No. Well, I'm, uh, like Scott, we don't really we don't invest in uh, resource companies either, uh, except for a few gold stocks. And the reason we're interested in the uh, few gold stocks is that they meet they meet all of our fundamental criteria these days because the industry is actually in quite rude health and well structured at the moment. Mm -hmm. Nickel, uh, and this and Western areas is a good example, uh, has had a return on equity of sort of way under 10, like a two or 3% a year. It's currently 6%, which is high for them, yep. which is terrible. 
uh, we want at least 10. That's really saying the company's only returning 2 to 6% return on the capital deployed in the company. It's woeful. Uh, I obviously have zero idea of uh, whether nickel prices are going to go up, down or sideways. So I couldn't even... And, and I don't think that's a way to invest in these businesses. Okay. What we want is a, a business that is generating decent profits and running well without having to rely on a change of the market. Because if you're doing that, you're really saying it's a speculation. Yeah. You're saying, well, I'm, if I'm really bullish on nickel and these are, okay, they're, they're, uh, they're, it's a proper business, there's not nothing wrong with it. It's just had very low growth and very low uh, returns. And it's also on quite a high PE, you know, at uh, 19 times for 3% EPS growth is woeful. It's too low for the, how much you have to pay for it. So even if you believe the nickel story, it's still too expensive. So a sell from you? I'll sell it, yeah. Double sell, uh, both from Scott and Mark on that one, on Western Areas, uh, WSA. Okay, let's do the next one, Mark. I'll kick it off with you. This comes from Irfan, MNF Group. Yeah. Um, so MNF Group, ticket code MNF. Yeah. Mark, is it a um, buy or a hold or a sell? And can you tell us about the business? Yeah, sure. Um, it's a, um, they, it's under telcos. It's not really a telco, though. Yeah. They're more of a uh, software integrator. What they do is they, um, they're in the telco space but they have clients like Facebook and Google and so on, and they link them to our phone system and so on. So like if you think, give an example. Uh, if, you, if you ride on an Uber and you want to call the Uber driver, it gives a specific number. So it's not your number to the Uber driver. It, they, they provide a number for that one call. So they've got millions of numbers, and they, all the fast food, all the delivery services, it's all MyNet, MNF, yep. not MNF, it's called MyNet phone. It's yep. MNF now. Um, so they're, they're providing connectivity and application software and so on, and they've been growing very well. Um, it's an international business. The other thing, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a large company. It's quite small um, by Australian standards. I've, I've been a shareholder for about seven years, and uh, I've done very, very well on it. I bought in originally at just under 60 cents, oh, and it's wow. currently about $4.71. And you're still holding it? I've still, I'm still holding it. I have never sold any, uh, and I'm very happy with it. Their last report was mediocre. But they've uh, bought a couple of businesses and they've, they're also spending capital now building out Singapore. So they, they actually have a global model, which they originally bought Telecom New Zealand's mm. business, which is all their international <laughs> business. And they picked up all the points of presence in Europe and the US and uh, Europe and Asia. So they actually have a international base for a small Australian telco with their own uh, proprietary applications. And okay, so you bought in around 60 cents. So would you be buying at these levels or just holding well, it? Well, I, I, I still like it. it it's, 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 at the moment, the PE ratio is... 29, so it's, it's in the black, which is what we class the middle. It's in the middle half of its fee range. Yep. I'd rather pay a bit less, uh, but the earnings are down artificially at the moment. I think they're going to bounce back heavily. Well, that, and that's what they're saying. Yep. If anyone's interested in it, uh, Rene Sugo, the uh, CEO, who's a, an excellent uh, founder, he started the business, uh, have a look at their, uh, their analyst report for their last reporting. Hmm. It explains the business and how it works. Should I put you down as a buyer? Well, yeah, I'd have to say bye. I, I think you have to say bye. Yeah. I'm, I'm summarising it as that. Um, Scott, do you have a different view? I do slightly, Ingrid, but not qualitatively. More a question of, I guess, how long investors need to wait for this one. I, I take mm -hmm. Mark's point. I've actually liked MNF for a long time as a business. And it is one of those companies that from the outside, if you're ticking some boxes around founder, owner, entrepreneurial, you know, literally... You know the sort of the sort of business you'd want to own, all things being equal, right? So if you said here are the here are the merits of the business, um, they've been really clever, they've been really nimble, they've they kind of switched paths a few times when there's been opportunities. Like Renee does a great job running this business, so okay. I like the business a lot. The challenge I've got is that to Mark's point, for all of the for all of the stuff they've been doing, they haven't really been able to break out and really deliver for shareholders in the more recent past. So yeah. long term spectacular results, as Mark said, and you did well to to be buying at sixty cents. Well done, mate. Uh, the problem is over the last five years, the shares have pretty much gone almost nowhere. They've gone up and down, 
but they kind of, you know, they finished the five-year period where they started it, which is about the current price. And, and that's largely because, and, and at a P of 29, by the way, so it's also not cheap at that higher price, even if you allow for a, for a tough old year. Um, it's a really tough business to look at and think, you know what, for, you know, is it a gunner company or is it not? Gunner G-U-N-N-A, in other words, they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And I don't, I don't fault them again for everything they've tried to do, mm. that, that they're running the business as well as they can. And again, full credit to the business itself. But if the results don't come through, at some point, I have a small bucket of, of those kind of gunner companies, right, that, that should have all the attributes to do really, really well. Nimble founder owner, a guy who's super responsive and agile, they get on the new ideas. It's the sort of business that should be able to make something of itself, but really has struggled over the last five years to do so. Now, maybe this is the maybe this is the year, maybe this is the mm. capitulation trade of me saying don't do it. But I have to say, I just don't have enough evidence that the areas they're in and the new areas they're going into are meaningfully adding value to the business that justify a PE that's almost 30 times earnings. So I don't want to dislike it. I want to, I want to say, hey, this is obviously a buyer. It's a great business, et cetera, et cetera. But at some point, execution, again, has it actually let them down or have they just simply been unable to get into the, the areas of growth? I suppose you can take it either way. But given how much growth is coming in telcos and, and IT right now, mm. for MNF not to be able to kind of harness that in any meaningful way, um, I've got to say, it leaves me a little bit cold. So I'd be leaving this one on the shelf until we see some better traction in their operational business to get them some sort of sustainable growth. All right, so I'll put you as a hold for that, Scott? I think that's probably fair, yeah. All yeah. right, a hold from Scott on MNF Group there, a buy from Mark. Costa Group, this is the next stock, the fifth stock we're looking at. Uh, we're almost midway through the session of the call. This comes from Kin. Scott, we'll give you first right of reply on Costa Group. Just recently, of course, um, acquiring uh, System Citrus and wine assets. Scott, do you like this one? I do. Uh, it's a buy for me, but with a little oh. bit of risk. And I think that, you know, there, there are some investors, I'm, I'm pretty sure I won't put words in Mark's mouth. Some investors like turnarounds, some don't. Uh, some appear to pay, play a little bit more speculation in that area of the market. I'm not a speculative investor, generally speaking, but I don't mind the turnaround. Now, i got to say, we recommended this one at higher prices before the turnaround was necessary. So mm -hmm. we're still desperately holding on and hoping we get some sort of recovery. That 12-month price looks, chart looks pretty good. If you go back out further, it looks pretty ugly all of a sudden. Um, Costa is in a really interesting part of the market. They should have all of them. Again, speaking of gunner companies, they should have all of the attributes required to do really, really well. They're in high value fruits in particular, berries most specifically avocados as well. So they are in demand products. They've got, they've got manu I say manufacturing, growing uh, uh, operations in lots of different geographies here in Australia and overseas to allow them to really extend the seasons. And so you've kind of got this, you know, not exactly season agnostic, but pretty close. Um, fruit business, uh, not much vegetables, mostly fruit, uh, so high value in demand fruits to and through supermarkets to consumers. Now that, I don't love agricultural businesses generally speaking, but their success to date both pre and post the IPO was pretty impressive. Now, in the meantime, they had some issues in particular with some, some crop damage and, and some crop issues they had. Um, they lost a meaningful amount. We saw that, that big drop off of the share price there. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what was behind that. And they haven't yet recovered fully. Nice little run over the last three or six months as they start to, I think, get back on their feet. The market still wants to be sure. Now, it's 37 times earnings. So if you don't believe they can do it, give this one a big miss. I think there's every reason to believe the fundamental attractiveness of the business remains intact and the demand that or the tailwinds underpin the demand also remain intact. Now, maybe we're not having quite as many smashed avos on toast, but still plenty of avocados being sold, lots of raspberries, blueberries, strawberries, tomatoes. Um, you know, those are the things that are high value because they're small, they're high value per kilo. Uh, I think Costa will continue to do pretty well with those. And they are the preeminent manufacturer here or producer here. They're also moving into Asia and the Middle East. And I think, again, no guarantees. And it's not exactly a free option because the shares aren't exactly cheap. But if it can get some of those things right, 
I think today's price is pretty attractive. So cost is a buy for me. Okay, a buy with some caveats there uh, from Scott. Okay, Mark, um, can we get well, a double buy from you? No. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we won't get too excited then. No, no, no. no it's. Um, I think everything Scott said is valid. In 2017, up when they listed, they were growing really strongly to 2017. Since then, mm. it's been all down. And and whilst all the issues about the industry and the opportunities, that's all valid. It's very difficult to make money in agriculture and agri investments. Uh, that's been proven time and time again. Um, I got burnt on um, the uh, almond one. What was that called? Um, Select. Select harvest. Yep. Which one? Select. Select harvest, yeah. No, that'd be Thanks, good. Scott. That'd be oh, good Scott. to see. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Scott. I said age issues. Yeah, I've hit that point now. And I can't remember. <laughs> I'm sounding like Joe Biden. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, return on equity currently is uh, 2.8. It was 1% last year. So it's it's really they've got a long way to go to get this business up to being um, a, uh, a decent uh, earner, and then it's on a very very high PE. So uh, it fails on all our metrics. It's also got quite high debt. You know, the debt's 91% yeah. debt to equity, which is way above our maximum limit, which just adds an extra, um, uh, an extra risk in there if there's any, uh, any uh, problems. Debt to market cap is 36.7. Now, by the way, why that's important is mm. the banks look at that. So if they want to borrow money, uh, 40% is like the maximum that most banks will even consider. Mm. Uh, if you, because if your share price drops by half, you're now, your debt's now 80%. Yeah, so it's way too high. Yeah. 20% and below is usually more acceptable. So the debt would be a showstopper for us anyway, even if everything else uh, works out uh, positively. So I'm a, I'm a no. So you're a sell for that one? Well, I don't. I, I, it depends on when you buy it. I'm, I don't really like the idea of sort of buy, sell as, oh. as black and white things. But if, if, you make me, if you're going to make me do it, I'll yep. say yes. Okay, we're going to go there. I'm going to make you do it. Okay. Um, a buy from Scott, a sell from Mark. We like to make a market here. So that's, that's okay. what we're doing. Okay. All right, let's, uh, let's do a summary for you, though, because um, we are halfway through the show, halfway through the stocks we're covering. So far, um, we have got Aurora, which we had a sell from Scott, a hold from Mark, Smart Group. We had a double buy, so that'll be added to our uh, call portfolio. So a buy from both our guests. Western Areas, we had a sell from both our guests. Our uh, M&F Group was a buy from Mark, a hold from Scott. And Costa Group, a sell, uh, sorry, a buy from Scott and a sort of a, a sell. We'll put Mark as a sell uh, for that one for Costa Group. So that summarises the first five stocks of the session. This is all the stocks that get two thumbs up or a buy from both our experts on the show, as we've just been saying um, Smart Group got today. So let's get a check on how we've been performing. And weekly, we're up over 5%. On the month, we're up over 7%. And year to date since inception, we're up a whopping 16.5%. Perhaps, perhaps we've got another business that we could uh, kick off here with our, with our core portfolio, doing pretty well. Companies recently added Sims, James Hardy, Magellan, uh, Link Administration and Transurban. Companies that have been taken out, Credit Corp and Marley Spoon. Well, the Diggers and Dealers Conference is underway in the West. We'll be speaking to some of the heavy hitters throughout the early part of the week. Later today, we'll have Matt Shackleton, Chief Executive at Australian Potash, will join the Pulse, while famed mining entrepreneur Ashok Parekh will join the close. Both interviews happen from 3pm Eastern right here on AusBiz. And to cover off the gold space, Andrew Muir, MD at NTM Gold, will join the Pulse's 1pm hour as well. So plenty of executive insights on the way right here on AusBiz. Well, it's exactly uh, halfway through the program. Let's get to the next stock we're looking at here. This is uh, Charter Hall Social Infrastructure REIT, so CQE. This is um, property, but I guess mainly on social infrastructure, so things like childcare. 
uh, assets. Mark, I'll get you to kick this one off. Sure. What do you think of, of Charles um, Social? Uh, don't like it. Um, I'm not a, we're not big fans of REITs anyway, yep. uh, just by the way. Uh, one of the problems with uh, real estate uh, REITs is that they revalue their assets, which then goes to the P&L. So there's a, there's a difference often with what their reported earnings are and what their underlying earnings are with cash mm. or, ca or free cash flow, should I say. Now that can work in reverse as well. So if uh, property prices come down now and uh, we're, if rents are going down on their portfolio, they'll have to take losses on it as well. So but forgetting all that, just looking at their fundamental returns, their return on equity is 4%, which is really mediocre. And their EPS growth average over the last six years is minus 1% a year with good stability. So that's, that's all pretty woeful for me. Uh, debt's not bad. And if you look at the return, we're showing it returning 0.7 of 1% per year going forward if it just continues doing what it's been doing. Mm -hmm. And 3.7% on our default measures, which is the more uh, generous one. So just, <coughs> just not, uh, not worthy of investment. It's on a year 21 it's another example of way too high a price for, uh, based on what the earnings are. Okay, and you don't like REITs in general, you say, basically? No, no. Okay, so across the board. Scott, what's your take on, on the social infrastructure charter hall? Uh, first thing I'll mention is it used to be the charter hall education uh, infrastructure trust, whatever they used to call it. So social infrastructure probably sounds better. Maybe it means they're going to diversify. Maybe it means they just want to kind of grab the ESG kind of tag and, and run with that. Call me cynical, but let's, uh, let's just put that on the table. <laughs> Um, I think in terms of, I agree with Mark in terms of the, the, the REIT structure. The problem with the REITs broadly is if you're buying at book value, let's assume you are for the time being, if you buy at book, the best you can get is a leverage yield from the assets. Now, if that leverage yield from the assets is maybe five, six, maybe 7%, and that's the most you can get, assuming the shares continue to trade at book value, you're kind of locking in a market underperformance almost by definition. Now, maybe there's a bit of leverage there, maybe there's some tax benefit, maybe you can kind of eke out another percent, percent and a half. But if that's your maximum upside, and again, assuming no just pure speculation in the share price and you end up paying more than book, it's a tough business to actually beat the market in over the long term just by definition. And so I think as an investor, you want to be very careful. If you buy it for different reasons, knock yourself out, right? But if you can get the market return by buying a, a cheap index-based ETF, then go and do that unless you think you can beat the market with the investment you hold. And again, if the REIT is structured almost by definition, so it's going to be very, very hard to beat the index, then that's a tough ask. So I think that's that's the first thing. I, that's why I agree with Mark. I don't know if he's reasoning necessarily, but it's why I share the view that REITs are very, very hard to buy and beat the market with. Now, putting that aside for one second, the time you want to buy is either when it's below book value and try and get some revaluation benefit, or if you believe the company can bring something to bear, a la the old Westfield when the, you know, the development company used to, the management company used to earn a, a fortune by basically being the one operating the asset rather than mm. buying the assets themselves, then go for it. I just don't see on a, on a standard vanilla REIT, this is pretty close to that, how we're going to get market beating returns. Education in particular is also really difficult. Early childhood centres are their core business. And we know that ABC Learning, G8 Education, there's been plenty that have come and gone. Very, very tough area to make some money as an operator. Maybe that means the benefits accrue to the, the landlord. That's probably mm. true to some degree. But I have to say, it just it doesn't strike me as attractive enough to be a buyer. I don't know if I'd rush out and sell it necessarily. I don't expect it to implode or anything terrible to happen but I expect it to be an underperformer for a, for a decent length of time. So uh, again, it kind of, again, the why hold sell, I'll, I share Mark's concern about hold a bit of a, a wishy-washy middle point, but equally, I, you know, it's hard to say, should you absolutely sell because it's gonna underperform the market slightly? Also hard to say, but I don't think it's a market beater. So if that's the case, put me down for a sell. That's all right, um, hold the line. So hold hold to a sell for you, Scott. What, were you a hold or a sell? Um, Around the same, I feel. A sell, a sell. A sell. Okay, clear sell um, for Charter Hall Social REIT. 
Let's uh, move on to our next stock that we're watching, Village Roadshow, VRL. An interesting one. This comes from Jennifer. So thanks, Jennifer, for um, uh, writing in about this stock. Scott, I'm going to kick it off with you with Village Roadshow. Just remind viewers what they do um, more broadly and, and whether you like it, buy, hold, sell. So theme parks, cinemas, uh, and, and movie production or distribution is kind of their broad bit. Now, they didn't renew their Warner Brothers contract is the first thing to note. So that's one strike on the on that column. The other thing is theme parks. Man, I, I, Disney have done a great job of making money out of theme parks. Almost nobody makes money out of theme parks. Ardent Leisure, of course, the other one in this space that have just really struggled. I mean, takes me back to my childhood with Australia's Wonderland, of course, based in the west of Sydney. Um, same kind of problem. I just, it's just a really, really tough business to try and make money out of. And I have to say, Village Roadshow, one of those ones that it's kind of one of those, I want to say cigar butt stocks, it's a little bit too too uh, <laughs> too derogatory, but it's one of those stocks that people kind of look at and go, well, I guess maybe I probably should at some point, maybe there's a price. But no one's really ever buying Village Roadshow for long-term outperformance, buy and hold type stuff. Now, there is a deal at the moment between, or with BGH looking to buy a controlling stake in Village Roadshow at 245. So it's interesting that it's slight discount to that at the current time. And again, you can kind of draw your own parallels as to what the market's thinking about that, how likely it is to go ahead, all that kind of stuff. It's a controlling stake, not outright purchase of the business. So there is no absolute ownership premium, though there should be a control premium. And it seems like that will be the case if it goes through and Village Roadshow shareholders are being asked to vote on that transaction. Overall, I guess if you, you know, if you want to be positive, you might say, well, new controlling shareholders, private equity in here to kind of shake things up. There's worse ideas, frankly, than, you know, if you, if you bought everything that private equity bought, you'd probably do okay in the short to medium term. You don't want to buy off private equity, mm. but if you're a partner with them, you could do reasonably well. So if you wanted to find a, a bright spot here, it might just be that with a bit of new management, a bit of new kind of focus and discipline, maybe Village Roadshow finds a way to eke out some medium term gains. I just don't see how this is a long-term outperformer, though. I'd, I'd probably, uh, at the current hold, at the current price, given the discount to the the deal that's being proposed, I'd probably hold, quite honestly. Um, there may well be some future upside, but I certainly wouldn't be buying if I didn't own it today. Yeah, there's a bit going on with Village Roadshow, sort of behind the scenes at the moment. Mark, buy, um, hold, sell from you. Uh, oh, no, definitely be sell. Uh, it's, it, uh, I agree with what Scott said in that it is a very difficult business, and they also have been slammed with uh, Corona as well. But even forget Corona. <laughs> The, the, the long term, they've been in a decline for quite a while. So oh. the, the, the return on equity is now, now is near, well, they made a loss um, of 11 cents in 2020. Before that, the, the earnings had gone down from 30, 35 cents in 2013 down to um, uh, 11 cents in 2019 and then mm. minus 11 cents in 2020. I mean, it's just all bad news. So there's no, there's no sign of this making any money. But the other real sh shocker is their debt to equity, and this is going, if you look at 2019, their debt to equity was 90%, which was very, very high, 74% mm. debt to market cap. And now because their market cap's gone down, you know, with the share price going down as well, and whether they've added debt, I'm not sure, but now it's 342% debt to equity. Um, and it, yeah, the debt's way, way, way above the uh, market cap of the company. Now, under normal circumstances, uh, with all things being equal, you'd have to say this company is in significant danger of whether it'll survive. So perhaps the uh, uh, potential acquisition by private equity to take controlling interest is what they absolutely need. Mm, you know, okay. So, ahead. so, so I wouldn't touch it unless you're a speculator. Okay. Clear sell from Mark there. Village Roadshow. V R L uh, Village Roadshow. Well, let's go to the next stock. We've only got a few more left. Um, Metcash is the next one to get M T S. Mark, you get first right of reply <laughs> on Metcash. Food, groceries, liquor, hardware. 
What's um, I mean, it's a hard, they've had a hard slog, you know, up against Woolworths and Coles. And I know they're a bit different um, because they're wholesale as well, but they really have um, um, struggled. Mm. Uh, the return on equity is fine. I'll uh, just have a quick look at the, uh, the uh, numbers. Um, they um, got high stability of earnings, which you'd expect in food. So it's 96% stability. We like that. Return on equity is 14. That's good. Uh, debt's a bit higher. It's at 80%. Uh, so it's a bit above our, uh, our limits. This is about a $3 billion company. Uh, problem's just the price. So it's coming in, it's showing at the moment it's uh, on a 13.7 PE, which on our calculations, under a margin of safety, gives you negative 2% a year. Um, and if on a default measure, it's a bit mm. over 2% positive, uh, which is just you know, nowhere near good enough to consider buying. Um, so for us, we would need to, if you, if you, if, if you were going to consider buying it, and it's an okay business, I'm not mm. knocking the business at all, um, we'd have a buy price of um, $2.05 to get a 10% return. It's currently two ninety, so it would have to drop a reasonable amount. It's not impossible, but it's too, way too expensive for what, what its earnings are. So a hold on valuation? I was, yeah, maybe if you've got it already. You know. All right, we'll put maybe. it down as a hold yeah, okay. right. uh, for Mark. Or, it's, okay, or a sell? No, it's a hold. Ooh, okay, he's borderline. He's borderline. Let's go to Scott. Scott, <laughs> Scott Metcash. I'm, uh... I'm, I'm going to be binary about this, and I'm going to call it a straight-out sell, Ingrid. Okay. I share Mark's concerns, but I actually don't think it's as high a quality business as, as Mark does. And maybe he's well right, by the <laughs> way. Um, this is a really structurally challenged grocery business in particular. Its core business, its liquor business is great, by the way, but its its grocery business, it provides groceries to independent retailers. Now, you don't have to look too far around the grocery space to see the growth in Woolies, Coles, Aldi, Costco. To, to think about how, you know, who gets squeezed and who pays for that. In other words, who loses out of it. It's absolutely the independent retail, the independent IGA owner or, or the local convenience store owner is gonna, gonna struggle against those big guys. But the supplier, Metcash, that doesn't have any pricing power, simply makes a margin on the boxes it puts through the warehouse. That's a very, very tough business to be in if it's in decline. Um, you know, a bit like retailers, you know, themselves. A little bit of growth, you can make a fortune. A little bit of decline, you can go broke really, really quickly. They call it unit economics. Now, Metcash is one big box. It's one big retailer, if you like, uh, one big wholesaler. And the, the, the simple reality is if that continues to decline, and I expect that it will structurally, it's going to be very, very hard for them to take costs out fast enough to offset the falling gross margin. If you've got a high fixed cost business and your sales and gross margin keep going backwards, I'm talking about margin dollars, not percentage here, it's very, very hard to keep paying the bills and you find the profit margin will decline at a much faster rate than the sales decline, just as it would grow faster in the in the alternative scenario. So unless it can find a way to diversify, sell off, broaden, grow its current core business, it's just a structurally challenged grocery wholesaler. And if you're in that business, I don't, I mean, maybe, maybe you do okay in the medium term, maybe the volume stays okay, maybe it goes up a little bit, but long term, unless you genuinely believe independent retail grocery in Australia is bigger in 10 years time than it is today. Very, very hard to believe Metcash, particularly at the current price, as Mark says, is worth owning. So I would be selling this on structural grounds and frankly, taking the price you're being offered is up a lot in the last 12 months. So great, well done if you've been holding it, but I wouldn't be looking to give horse in the mouth on this one. I'd take, them, I'd take the money, I'd sell the shares. Scott, just briefly, you don't, do you think differently about Woolworths and Coles? I do. I think that Woolies and Coles are likely to be the winners here. That yep. their increasing returns to scale will will continue to be okay. I mean, they're not going to grow at a million percent. So let's, you know, I'm not, they're not going to be tech stalwarts at, at 50 times earnings. And frankly, I would actually say that Woolies and Coles, I think, are probably very highly priced, if not overpriced. So I would be a little bit careful there. But I can pay. I'm happy to pay a little bit more if given the choice. If I have a business with structural advantages that's going to grow, and I've got to pay a little bit more for that. 
I take mm -hmm. that deal over a cheaper business with structural deficits. Now, neither might beat the markets. I'm not saying necessarily you want to rush out and buy Woolies and Coles, but I'd, much, I'd be much happier owning those two than owning Metcalf shares. Oh, just uh, Scott's been very persuasive. I'm changing mine to a sell. Okay, <laughs> we want to get a, okay, we'll get a double sell from you guys. Yeah. At least it's a clear, yeah. clear cut there. I mean, mm. but do you, do yeah, you no. agree with the difference between I, Coles totally and Woolworths versus And Metcash? also, I think I agree with uh, what Scott said also about Woolworths and Coles. And Woolworths uh, is too expensive at the moment. So it, it it all comes back to a return. You know, that's the way we look at it. And they are very stable businesses, mm. and there's, they're, they're good things to have in your portfolio. But really, you want to buy them at a price that's going to give you at least ten percent. What about Christmas and, and people being at home? Well, that's obviously obviously that'll be a boom period for yeah. them uh, for sure. But not enough. Well, to we're, we're, I'm investing on a five year uh, rolling horizon. Yep. So um, if anything, you want to buy them when they're out of favour. Okay, well, let's go on to the next one then. Uh, the next stock is Southern Cross Media. It comes to us from Richard. Thanks, Richard. Uh, ticket SXL. Scott, what's your thoughts on this one? Buy, hold or sell? So I, this, this is a little bit like Costa. This one kind of, it, it tickles the kind of, you know, the, the deep value investor, the, the kind of, you know, the dirty value investor tucked down deep inside me somewhere. Southern Cross <laughs> Media is currently eight times earnings, right? And you kind of look at that and think, not much has to go right for this business to be worth meaningfully more, to sell for meaningfully more in six, 12 months time. Um, eight times earnings, the advertising market is hugely depressed. We know media companies have been laying off people, reducing hours, cutting costs. It's been a really tough time to be a, to be a media company when advertisers have gone, you know, to head to the hills in the wake of coronavirus. Now, there's businesses like these guys that have a decent, decent amount of debt. So you gotta be very, very careful. And there is a very decent chance that at some point these guys go cap in hand either to massive mm. dilution or let's be honest there is there is not a zero chance that they go broke at some point straight out so so to really clearly this business is a is a at structural risk at the same time at eight times earnings with a super depressed share price and again a, a, that card carrying optimism comes back out if you believe things improve and we start to see that improvement start to help the revenue line and the bottom line particularly businesses that already cut costs and therefore come a kind of you know return to growth off a, of a much better cost base and a much better revenue mm. uh, kind of uh, translation to profit I could absolutely see this company actually doing. I mean, look at that. You know, it was it's ten times higher only only four years ago. Now, again, different environment, but was it that different? If things start to go well, they go really, really well. If you said to me, Southern Cross is a dollar stock in eighteen months' time, I'm not going to be surprised. Now, it could also be out of business in eighteen months' time. So, I'm absolutely <laughs> saying this is one for speculators purely. There is a, there is such a massive, literally almost the largest possible range of outcomes here between death and glory, and, and almost anywhere in between. Um, I, I, I can't go. I can't go buy with any decent conscience. People taking my word for it and going out and rushing to buy the stock after the after the program finishes. But I do think it's it's you know it's one of those companies that if you have a, a risk tolerance and you think you you want to go and find a basket of these, I think a basket of similar stocks will beat the market. Will Southern Cross in particular? I can't say yes. I'll I'll, I'll take the weak easy option. I'll go with a holding. Okay, a hold from Scott. That's the summary, Mark. Um, I can't be that enthusiastic about it. Uh, and and uh, the so reason, we, well, I like uh, no, no, okay. I'd be, I'd be a sell, okay. even Tell though it's, even though it's so depressed. Because if you look at it going forward, it's currently got ninety percent debt to equity. It's, it's, uh, its earnings are at minus seventeen percent decline. So this, this is a business. Now, you've got to be fair. I like businesses with tailwinds. Mm. You know, where they have, as Scott mentioned you know, structural reasons why they're going to keep growing. I can't see any structural reasons why Southern Cross is going to start growing now. If I look at their sales over the last decade, they were uh, 97 cents back in 2012 per share. And last, and then in 19, they were 85 cents. And in that interim period, it was flat. 
and then last year they dropped to 20%, 20 cents. So that's like that's a that's a collapse in sales, not profit. And then of course the profits followed that down as well. It's gone down from eight cents to two cents. So yes, it is cheap on a PE, and it's definitely cheap relative to what it's been. But I can't see any reason why that's going to change. Uh, if anything, they're getting strangled even faster. And if you look at what's happened with um, since coronavirus, I think the uh, internet companies and online advertising and stuff has only increased. Mm. So I can't see it personally. Scott, is there something that would get you into a buy on this stock? I mean, you're a hold, but you're sounding like you're merging towards or at least leaning towards a sell. Is there anything that would get you buying this stock? Do you know what, Ingrid? I'm actually probably leaning towards a buy rather okay. than a sell, mate. Specifically, I'm still a hold. Don't, give me a, don't, don't, yeah. don't push me over the line. Um, <laughs> but if I had a basket of these stocks, so stock by stock, Mark's dead right. But my, my, my belief, my, my guesstimation, because that's all it is, yeah. is that if I could find five or seven such companies and put them in a single basket, I think the basket would, be, would beat the market. And yeah. so I think, you know, will one or two go broke? Probably yes. Um, will one or two do really, really well? Probably, yeah. Uh, and some will probably be middling on the way through. And so if you look at stock by stock, and this is where this is a, a tough ask on the call, we're not creating a portfolio of companies and saying, are we going to beat no. the market? We're saying stock by stock by stock. Yeah. Is this likely to be a winner objectively? And I think that's where it's different. I to answer your question directly, momentum is the answer. So I want to see sales momentum. Mark mentioned sales declines, and that's absolutely the key one. Uh, yeah. That's the big risk. That's the big worry. And if they can fix that problem, then they, they're in a good place. So I'm looking for that first. All right. I like this. And we'll move on to another media play, our last stock of the day, O Media, because it's a different sort of media play, certainly, to, to Southern Cross Media. Um, this one comes from Liam. Mark, I'm going to get you to go first on this one. Yep. Buy, hold, sell. Uh, I couldn't buy it, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> so so it's, uh, uh, it's another one of the traditional media. This is the outside your home. So it's mm. billboards and so on. Uh, what I find interesting with some of these businesses is it's only been listed for uh, five years you know, or six years, six years. So it hasn't been around that long in, in, as a listed entity. And it's, uh, its EPS growth rate's been quite good. So it's mm. been growing at about 23% a year, not that stable. So it's been a bit of a rocky, uh, a rocky road. But if you, when you actually look at their uh, sales versus profitability, they, you know, this, I would have thought this would be a highly profitable business because you've got you know, the massive rents you hear about on these billboards at the airport, like Sydney Airport, like a couple of million dollars a year for a billboard or something. You know, they still struggle to make much profit. So you actually look at the net profit um, uh, that they make, again, sales, it's, it's, it's quite low. They're 4% prof, net profit margin, which to me, it used to be higher. It was yeah. 7, 7, 9, 8, 9, and then down to 4 in the last year. So none of that's very good. Let's have a quick look at the um, uh, returns. Um, we're showing it uh, currently because it's on a PE, of, it's at the top of the red, which from, in our terminology, that means it's at the top of its range, its trading range. So we go bottom quartile, middle 50%, top quartile. It's at the very top of the top. So it's showing, it's on a PE of 200, over 200 right. at the moment, which is absurd. And we're showing, a, because of that, we're showing a return of minus 1.5 per year going forward over the next five years on our default and minus 16% per year uh, on safety. So there's no way it could be a, a uh, buy or a hold. Okay, so yeah. a sell? Yes. In terms of competitors though, and you talk about moats and, yep. and things like yep. this in business, how does Omedia stand? Well, Omedia's got, um, Omedia does have moats. And one of the moats is obviously their, their, um, their stock of contracted sites. Yep. That's a moat. So I'm not saying they're not a multi business. I'm mm. just saying that the uh, the earnings are aren't even close to being able to justify the uh, share price. So I'm saying on a price basis, it's uh, it's uh, like for instance to buy it, I've got um, a, a, a buy price of to get 10% return, which mm. is not massive, 83 cents. So I'd have to drop from 145 down to 83 cents. 
And if I wanted to buy, if I wanted to get 10% on a margin of safety, I couldn't pay more than 38 cents, which is a long way away from where it is at the moment. Are there other media stocks? I mean, because this is this is a media stock or yeah. an outdoor media yeah. stock. Are there other ones in this space or that are related to this space that you like? Google. Okay. Alphabet. No, and if no, and, no, no, and Facebook's pretty good too. I mean, there's in Australia, it's a bit hard. Yeah. Um, the US stocks, I mean, Facebook and uh, Google are okay. cheap compared to this. Okay. Well, and with, with, with a completely different growth profile. Well, let's get Scott's view. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to disappoint Mark here. I'm, I'm going to say it's a cautious buy. Um, and on the same basis as Southern Cross, right? So again, I, I get, you know, Mark and I's styles are probably just a little bit different. And that's part of what I think justifies or explains the difference. Um, mm. I, I think this is, you know, if you believe in cyclical recoveries and you can't extrapolate this one from the past, so the sort of investor who just says, look, I can't see enough, you know, genuine recovery or genuine, sorry, um, momentum and, and consistency, then I absolutely understand people saying too hard, too spicy, don't don't believe it, don't want to do it, completely cool. Uh, for me, though, I think if, again, a bit like Southern Cross, this business has enough wherewithal to get through this, I think, without going broke. I think uh, Southern Cross, I'm less sure about. This one, I think, is okay. Mm. And again, given the current share price, it doesn't have to do all that much to start to justify its current price. Now, it may not do that. And so, again, really, really clearly, um, I, I'm not saying, you know, put all your money on O Media and, and, and ride it to the, to the, you know, to the big end of town. <laughs> what I am saying, again, in that sort of portfolio basket type approach, yeah. I actually think O Media will continue to recover as, I mean, think about the big advertisers who aren't around, right? And Mark's right about online, absolutely. I completely get it. Mm. But if you think about the likes of, you know, think about, the, and this is not our meeting necessarily, but think about how much money Flight Center or Qantas or Virgin or whoever else was spending. The, the travel supplements, the the wall-to-wall -wall advertising. I mean, the, the WebJet ads all over the place, billboards and TVs. And yes, online is going to matter. It's going to matter more. We know that that remains the case. Uh, but Omedia is not expensive unless that, sale, that, that revenue doesn't come back. And I really just, I think it will. I think, I think it's very, very likely that over time advertisers come back to, as part of their suite, outdoor advertising and i think omedia is poised particularly the current share price at a higher share price maybe i'm more in mark's camp of saying well look they're fully priced and you know the, the structural challenges are there i think it gets cheap relative to even even a relatively modest recovery and so i think even when that recovery comes omedia should do well uh, but again not 100 percent guarantee and and like southern cross probably best in a portfolio or a basket of stocks but i do expect it'll do okay all right, so it was worth the wait to get the cautious buy off you, Scott. Thank you very much. So just a summary um, for everyone, Charter Hall, Social REIT, we had a sell from Mark, a hold from Scott, Village Roadshow, a hold from Scott, a sell from Mark, Metcash, a sell from both our guests, uh, Southern Cross Media, a hold from Scott, a sell from Mark, and O Media, a sell from Mark, a cautious buy uh, from Scott. So look, a big thank you to our guests, Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool, Mark Mullen from Team Best. Mark, we've got a little something for you. You might bring in Elliot um, to come on in. You, you mentioned cake. We couldn't go. Oh, my this God. This is a pretty small cake. Yeah. Elliot, where's mine? I'm hosting. I feel yeah, like yeah. we should get a cake for me, too. I, I, thank, you, oh, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. So, happy birthday. You can, you. You can fly out the candle. You can enjoy that. Sorry, Scott. You and me miss out because it's just a very COVID safe, singular cake. Uh, for Mark Do here I have in to the share this with everybody? <laughs> no, it's all yours. COVID safe, of <laughs> course. You, you can you. have it. Um, but appreciate your time as always, guys. Thanks for joining thank us you. on the call today. That does wrap up the program. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, thecall at ausbiz.com.au, or you can tweet us at ausbiz.tv. Reminder where to find all the stocks we have in the calls portfolio. Head to ausbiz.co <clears> forward slash portfolio. We will see you next time. This is the story of the one. 
As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.